0: Well, good morning. It's great to see so many of you out today. It's good to see some friends returning. Good morning, Harper. It's good to see you, sweetheart. i missed you the last few weeks. Join me in welcoming back home a very special member of our family, Eileen Hines, right here. Let's welcome her. Eileen says thank God and we know that several weeks ago when she went into the hospital and then when she went to rehab that the hardest part of that journey was going to be being separated from all of you. And so she has worked hard and God has been good and we're just so thrilled to have you back with us today as we are those of you who are new to MCC, those of you that have been checking things out for the last few weeks, and those of you that are guests this morning and uh, new to MCC, we're so glad that you're here, and that welcome home card that Bromlin mentioned earlier, that's your key to beginning that connection with us is let us know of your presence, let us know on that Discover section the things that God is doing in your life or the things that you hope that he will do, and we would love to connect with you. Later this week. Well, speaking of welcoming people, I want you to join me in welcoming another group of people who gave their lives to Jesus Christ last weekend. First of all, Chris and Paul of Faith, who were baptized last weekend, and their two sons who placed their membership here. Joe Knott came last Saturday night and placed his membership with us here at MCC. So when you see him on Saturdays, I hope that you will welcome him. But let's do that this morning. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. After you see the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we come to the book of Acts. And it's there that we see the life of the early believer, the early follower of Christ. The last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about baptism and what it is to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've talked about reaching out to the world around us, to our friends, to our neighbors, and to those on the other side of the continent, like we're doing with Operation Christmas Child on op- the other side of the world. and. This weekend we come to Acts chapter 19 where we see played out a reality that every believer needs to have an understanding of whether you're a brand new follower of Christ or whether you've been following Christ your entire adult life. And that is as God's kingdom is advanced, as God begins and continues that transformative work in your life and mine, Evil will bring a counter-offensive. Evil will push back against you. It will push back against a community that's being changed, a world that's being impacted by the gospel. But what we need to understand is that the gospel will prevail. And so for the believer, we have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to speak up to not be pushed back, to not be silenced, but to speak up, to persevere. When times are tough, this is your opportunity to see God and to see him fulfill the promises that he has given us in his word. And so don't you shrink back, you persevere and you don't let evil have its way. And in Acts chapter 19, we see this played out among the early church, the early believers in a city called Ephesus in a big way and a way that we can connect with today. So let's pray and let's dive in together. Father, today we hold in our hands your word, the word of truth. And as we open it to Acts 19, we see the impact of the gospel in individual lives. We see it transforming families, changing neighborhoods and cities, entire countries. But Father, as this transformation occurs, we also see evil raise its ugly head in a counteroffensive that's intent on silencing the truth, the truth of your great mercy and grace and love. And so, Father, today, may we recognize that ultimately you and your kingdom prevail. And may this give us courage and the perseverance needed to not shrink back individually and collectively. Help us to not only stand firm, but to love boldly. And may your kingdom come. And may your will be carried out here and now on this earth, just as it's being carried out in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, in Acts chapter 19, the gospel is doing in Ephesus exactly what the gospel is doing right here in this little church in Memphis, Indiana, and hopefully in our community, and that is the gospel was impacting lives. The gospel was impacting the community of Ephesus and the surrounding country. Verse 8 describes how this happened. Verse 8 says Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And so first he's going to the Jews in that region and he is telling them about Jesus Christ. He is preaching the gospel and he is being persuasive. Verse 10, they not only go there but he takes the disciples with him and they had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyranus. They were at the American Legion. They were at the Moose Lodge. They were everywhere that they could go to preach the truth. Not just for a weekend, not just for a few months, but it says that this went on for two years and that all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. And verse 18 begins to describe for us the impact that the gospel was having on those who heard. Verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Remember we talked about repentance, turning to God, turning from our old ways to following God and applying his precepts to our life. A number who had practiced sorcery, they brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the things that were burned, that were discarded, that were said, we're done with this way of life, it came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is a silver coin worth a day's wages. You see the cost of following Christ? In this way, verse 20 says, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now I want you to think about lives changed for just a minute. I want you to think about communities being transformed. What does that look like? Well, it means that there were women in that community. There were women who were no longer being abused by their husbands because their husbands had had a realignment. They recognized that culturally, and spiritually they needed to line up and that God's desire for a man is to honor his wife, to love his wife, to treat her and respect her as Christ would love his church. There were children, because of the gospel, there were children who came home to a loving home instead of a home that was broken because men and women understood God's command for the family and the reality that we look to the interest of others, particularly those in our own household, before our own. And so when you're discouraged as a husband or as a wife, you don't don't walk away, but you stay. Individuals who once looked to dark magic or other things for hope They openly rid their lives of these things. They even burned them in the street. But there's one other thing that we're about to look at here, and that is the significance, and I think that's why the apostles spent extra time letting us know the value of those scrolls that were burned. And that is that this change in the community had an impact on the economy of that. Community. And here is what we need to understand. And that is, anytime the gospel is in a season of great advance, anytime you and I individually and collectively are applying the gospel message to our life real life change is occurring it doesn't just happen in our homes it doesn't just happen on the weekends when we're gathered at the temple but it is infused it has an impact on the entire community including including the things that we buy the things that we participate in the things that we promote or don't Promote, And any time that that gospel's in a season of great advance, you need to understand the powers of darkness will raise up a counter-response to it. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about baptism. About baptism. And when we are baptized, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as part of receiving salvation... We need to understand that we are at that moment in the sights of the evil one. That moment in our life, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are in Satan's target, his finder. Why is that? Because you were not a threat before. He he could care less about you before because you were exactly where he wants you to be. You were just part of the crowd. You were going along with whatever. But the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord of your life, the moment that that life change begins to happen inside of you, you need to know that Satan is after you, why? Because Satan's number one responsibility is to disrupt, is to disrupt what good is going on in your life. His responsibility, his goal is to steal your soul. To steal your life, to kill and destroy your family. And he does this personally, but I also want you to know it that he is most effective when he uses his influence to bully us into being quiet, into being passive, even retreat. And this is what we see going on in Ephesus. Paul preached. Paul lived the truth in the very community that he was living. And all around it, verse 10 says, so that all the Jews, all the Greeks who lived in that area heard the word of the Lord. Verse 18 talks about how effective it was. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. They outwardly acknowledged the inward transformation going on in their life and their very actions followed. In a great demonstration, they burned, if you will, their past. They burned, if you will, the theories and the ideas and the idols that they had placed in a place of supremacy in their life before. And not only was it costing financially, but I want you to think for a minute, and many of you don't have to think very far back to the reality that when Jesus Christ begins that transformative power in your life, it shakes the foundation of your life because you've built your life on the things that you followed and the things that you believed and the things that you were so sold out to before. And as this amazing public display of God's life-changing power was happening, verse 23 says, about that time, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way now this phrase the way is used to describe it's used throughout acts to describe christianity to describe how the gospel was being spread they referred to it as the way and rightfully so because jesus is what he's the way he's the truth And the life. And it says, a riot broke out, a great disturbance about what was going on as the gospel was spread. And it goes on to describe a silversmith in verse 23 named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, also known in some of your translations as Diana, this false god, this whole community, their their livelihood was built on this industry of creating these little idols, these little shrines that people would have in their home, kind of like a Buddha statue would be in some cultures today. Their whole economy was built on this. It says it brought in no little business for the craftsmen. This was a huge percentage of their, of their work. And so Demetrius called them all together, along with the workmen and the related trades. It, it went layered down and affected everyone and said, men... You know we receive a good income from this business. You see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia? He says that the man-made gods are no gods at all. And you know what that means for us. There's a danger that we're gonna lose everything. Your business. Is going to go out. Even, even the temple, this great temple that we have built to our God, this goddess Diana, this goddess Artemis, there's in danger. That it'll even be discredited. And that's all they needed to hear. And that's exactly the way evil works today. My goodness, we've seen it on display. It's been this way forever, but especially. Especially, just think how it has affected us today and how evil has launched its counteroffensive through things like social media, social media, the news, even within our community and and homes. Artemis, a statue that was made from a meteorite that fell from the sky. The scrolls that were burned, 50,000 days wages you can imagine the impact on the economy. Now you may not know that since the 1980s, the advance of the gospel in the United States has had a significant impact in things that are touted today and in fact rioted today in the streets and on social media and on our news. First of all, do you realize you realize that since the 1980s, the advance of the gospel in the United States has actually reduced racial inequality and the tension between races as well? Why? Because Christians understand that every human is made in the image of God. Now, we have fallen away from that image in many, many ways. But in God's eyes, we are one people. And as Christians understand that, it changes our language. It changes the way that we treat other people, the way that we run our businesses, the way that we do business with people. Since the 1980s, respect for women in all facets of life, the home, the workplace, the government, has been on the rise all because of the changing power of the gospel. The number of lives lost to abortion, the number of lives lost to abortion in the United States has been on a steady decline, and the advance of the gospel is at the root of all of these changes. Now, I bring this up, I bring this up because the advancement of the gospel in all of these areas has brought forth a counteroffensive by evil and you see how it has shown itself over the last decade, and that is using every possible venue and avenue to silence the gospel by shouting out lies about women's rights, by shouting out lies and creating confusion about sexuality, inequality, social justice, and what's my point? My point is is that we must always expect the shriek of evil when it is confronted by the truth of God's word. And that, my friends, is the gist of all of this mass confusion and stupidity in our world today. The evil one, Satan. He has come to steal from you, kill your hope, and destroy you, and any advance against his agenda brings forth the evil that is, listen, underneath that which has been labeled by society as good. Women's rights. Racial equality. Those are the forces of evil underneath those good things that have been raised up and created such a divide, trying to reverse and to thwart what the gospel over the last 30 years has advanced. Now in verse 29, it says those rioting because because their economy was under attack by Paul and the gospel, okay. Maybe that's a good enough reason in your mind to take to the streets, to be angry that your husband's job is going away, that you're not going to be able to buy the new camel, you know, the four-door camel or the 15-passenger camel that you now need for your family because it's growing, is going away. And we sure raise a lot, a lot of noise about our economy today. In fact, it's a great tool because every one of us are impacted by it. But I want you to think about, I want you to think for just a minute beyond the economic impact that started this. I want you to think about what they were rioting against when they went to this. They were actually rioting against families being strengthened because see, that's the flip side of this is that while their economy that was based on foolishness to begin with was about to be sunk, family life was soaring. Women, wives, and children were being treated with dignity and respect. You see, that's the fallout today Because the evil one's intent, that's what he's intending to destroy. And he will use anything, including an economy, to do it. The crowd, in verse 30, grabbed two of Paul's traveling companions. They drug them into the raging mob, a theater. I found a picture of the ruins of that theater to just give you an idea of the size. We look at TV today and we see the size of these mobs. 30,000 people filled the seats of that theater right there. 30,000 and they were shouting, they were angry, they were riled up. And verse 30 says that Paul, Paul wanted to stand right down there in front of that crowd of 30,000 people, but the disciples wouldn't let him even some of the officials of the province friends of paul sent a message to him begging him not to venture into the theater he said the assembly it's it's in confusion some were shouting one thing some were shouting another i love verse 32 most of the people didn't even know why they were there Now there's a few things that strike me about this mob mentality in verse 32. And that is that most of the people didn't even know why they were there. And that, my friends, is the distinction. That is the distinction between people who follow a crowd and people who follow the word of God. That's the defining factor. That's the distinction between the two. You see, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And you need to understand that God's word brings certainty about our origin. Every Christian in this room should understand and be convinced that you were created by God, not from a blast, not from something that crawled out of an ocean that was once single cell and evolved into what you are today. Your mother-in-law may have evolved that way, but not you. God's word brings certainty about our origin. God's word brings certainty about our purpose. We were created to glorify God, to point the world to God. That is our purpose. God's word brings certainty about our sexuality. He created us male and female There's one marriage, and that's the marriage between a man and a woman. We were made to procreate, and there's only one way that can happen, between one man and one woman. God's word brings certainty about life, that he is the author of life. Without his breath, there is no life. That long before you were put in this body, you were created in his presence. And every day of your life was written down. And you are as much a spiritual being as you are a physical being. And when this life on earth is finished, you will spend, that spiritual being will spend eternity in hell, separated from God, or you will spend eternity in his holy presence. God's word brings certainty. God's word brings certainty about relationships and what they are to look like, about finances, about every aspect of living. But my friends, the wisdom of the world and the prince of this world always brings confusion and ultimately brings disorder. And so I ask you this morning, is your life a life of confusion? If it is, who are you following? Verse 28 says, in their fury, this crowd of now 30,000 plus, they start screaming the name of their goddess. For over two hours, this angry mob chants, great, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine two hours of that chanting? It's as if they thought the louder that they got, the more convinced they might be. It was deafening. And you need to realize that evil does the same thing today. The objective of the noise is to cover the voice of truth. The louder that they shout, the more effective it seems that they can be at covering the truth. In verse 30, Paul wants to speak to the hostile crowd. Why? Because he saw the opportunity. He saw the reality of what was going on. That anytime there's an advance of the gospel, that evil will launch its counter to that. And so he wanted to go in and he wanted to address that. But verse 30 says some of the disciples, even Paul's friends, begged him not to go into the theater. Now there's a couple perspectives here and I wanna give time to both of them. And the first perspective is that the disciples and friends of Paul didn't wanna put him in harm's way. And I can see that. Nobody wants, well, maybe you guys would, but, but most nice people don't wanna put the preacher out there, right? <laughs> some of you stand in the way, some of you stand between us. In fact, we've got a security team here. They're supposed to be for you, but there's always the biggest one on the team that's sitting right up here close, just hoping for the opportunity to tackle me and lay me out on the floor. (laughs) But just like the health team, I tell them, I'm like, now if I go down, I want you to count to 5,000 before you come and put those paddles on my chest because I'm ready to go home. And it's the same way with the security team. I want to be laying over top of you guys along with them. I don't need to be protected. But some of these Some of Paul's friends thought that he needed to be protected. And I get that. And some people believe that Paul did the right thing by not going. He could have lost his life. And what would have happened to his ministry? But if you skip ahead to the end of the account, we find the perspective that I think is important to not overlook. And that is that it was the city clerk who went in And addressed the crowd in verse 35. And when he did, he did no favor to the gospel. He stopped the riot. But you can read there for yourself what he said. And to summarize it, what he said is that they, Paul, the disciples, the gospel hasn't done anything. What have they done against us? Let's let them be. They haven't done anything. Really? Your changed families, your changed household, that's nothing to you. The fact that your wife is now safe in her own home, that your children want to get off the camel and come in the door because it's a loving home now, that is nothing to you. You see, this perspective is troubling, because by doing nothing, those who held Paul back, they didn't trust the gospel of Jesus Christ to do its work. And in that moment, the church passed under the protection of the town clerk, instead of God. And so the point for us is that no matter the noise, Christians, no matter the noise, Christians are to engage every opportunity including the craziest of opportunities, to draw people from darkness into the light. Paul would later write to that church in Ephesus, years later. He would write to them in Ephesians 5, 15. He'd say, be careful then how you live. Not as the unwise, you look what happened Not as the unwise, but as the wise. You make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days that we're living in, the days are evil. In other words, no matter the size of the angry mob, the persuasiveness of media or politics, the Christian must embrace every opportunity to see the gospel advanced. Now, it wasn't but just months earlier in Acts chapter four that the early disciples were faced with a similar, on a smaller scale, but a similar dilemma. If you wanna flip back there, you can. If not, the scripture will be on the screen. But in Acts chapter four, remember Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's appeared to hundreds. He has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached a message that over 3,000 men responded to and were baptized. The early church was born. And one day, it says Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, were on their way into the temple courts. They saw a man. They saw a beggar. He had been there. He was known by everybody. But that day, they stopped, and they offered him something. What did they offer? They offered him the gospel of Jesus Christ, something that he had not received. And what Jesus modeled for them is what they did. They healed the man. And why do healings occur? Healings occur so that we can see in a physical sense the reality of what is going on spiritually inside of a person's life. And so this man was healed. It stirred up a ruckus, a little mini ruckus, and the men were told, in handcuffs as they stood before the Sanhedrin, you be quiet. Quit stirring up the people. They also said something really famous there too. It says that they could tell that those men had been with Jesus. Now that's a compliment when someone says that about you. But I want you to listen to their response in verse 20 to being told you just stay back, you just stay out of this. Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This should be the battle cry of our heart. We cannot be quiet about what we have seen and heard. Eileen Hines this morning, instead of just sitting there and saying, thank you, what's she doing? She is afraid to take any credit at all for her being here because she knows the one who allowed her to be here. The one who has so transformed her, not to mention healing her body. Verse 24 says that those disciples went back to their gathering. And they told the church about what happened. And the church didn't go, oh, no, that was so dangerous for you. No. No, it says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They raised their voices together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that they were filled for the first time? No. They were replenished. They were on fire. They felt a surge of the Spirit. Why? Because God will what? He will always provide What is needed, including the words from our mouth. And they spoke the word of God, I would even say, more boldly. They spoke boldly. Christians, we have been way too quiet. And I'm not calling you to riot because riot is what evil does. But we sure don't hide when evil streaks. We don't drag people in before an audience. Evil does that. Jesus conquered the giants of sin and death on the cross. That's what God does. And that's what he will continue to do. And so we are to call evil what it is. We are to remain steadfast in our obedience. And we are to live boldly according to God's precepts. You see, we get all excited, and rightfully so, when we see a revival like it over at Asbury Theological Seminary. We get excited when our students who go to a Christian school all of a sudden decide it's okay to sing and to pray and be excited about God. And we think, oh, my Lord, revival's breaking out. Praise Jesus. Let me tell you, real revival comes when a, 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 your community is affected when your sports and your athletics change, when people start living like human beings in their homes instead of animals, that's when real revival has occurred. Praise God for spiritual excitement and enthusiasm. We all need that, but we should be excited already. You talk about real excitement, real excitement happens. <clears throat> when our lives are changed and we see the counteroffensive being launched because for once, for once evil is threatened. I want to give you this final encouragement. And that is when Jesus Christ established his church. Remember what he said? He said, on this rock I will build my church in the gates of what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ has never been silenced. He has never been silenced or shut down, and neither will the church. Now, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the city of Ephesus was in an uproar. 30,000 people is no small number. That riot, I don't know if they took the opportunity to loot the town or not while they were rioting like we do today, but that riot was no small riot. In fact, it was so significant that what the Christians, the Christians were afraid. The Christians withdrew. An entire economic system was based on the misguided belief that a meteorite fashioned into an idol was the way. And in evils counteroffensive, a riot seems so strong. But I ask you, is there anyone today shouting the name Artemis of the Ephesians? Is there anyone today? If you're unsure, Google it. As the answer is no. The temple of Diana, it's ruins today. There's one pillar that still stands as a marker in a field that's all grown up with weeds. But Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names. At this very moment, millions and millions of people are calling on his name and he is answering Hundreds of thousands of gatherings like this one are going on. And lives and families and communities around us are being changed. Will you be? Will you allow him to continue the good work that he began in you on the day of your salvation? Yes, the counter-attack, the counter-offensive of evil is looming on your doorstep if it hasn't already crossed the threshold into your life. Don't be shut down. Don't be held back. But you give your all for the one who gave you life by giving his all for you. Let's stand and let's pray together. Well, Father, we come today so grateful. We are so grateful for the salvation that you brought to us through Jesus Christ. The opportunity that we have once separated by sin and ignorance from you. To now be able to stand before you and to worship you, to exalt your name, to glorify you with our lives. And Father, for those that are brave enough to obey you and to apply your precepts to our lives, we have seen the impact on our children. We have seen it. We've seen it in the lives of our neighbors. In the community. Even the world. But Father, at the same time, we see the counteroffensive of the evil one, Father. And we see the confusion. We see the turmoil. And God, it's scary. It's frightening. There isn't a parent here that doesn't wonder what life is going to be like for their child. But Father, because of Jesus Christ... We know that today's argument, that today's riot, that today's crowd will be replaced by another and another after that because none of them will stand. But you and your church, God, you prevail. And you win the day. You win the day when one more, when one more husband is changed, when one more child knows the love of of an earthly father because of the love of a heavenly father one more life has changed when we treat others with the respect and dignity they many times don't earn <laughs> but father neither have we it's by your great grace that you show us these things and it's by that grace that we show these things to the world around us So Father, strengthen this local family. You are doing great things in the lives of its people. But Father, those great things should not be limited to this church family. They should be impacting, whether we have sports on Sunday mornings. They should be impacting, Father, a woman's decision to go and and lose her child or to be surrounded by a family that will love that mother and help raise that child. It should be impacted, Father, by the, by the respect and dignity that we give to those around us. Father, continue to change us and to transform us and may revival be real in the world today because we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed we praise you father in jesus name amen if you're outside of a relationship with jesus christ there is always an opportunity for you to come and that opportunity is right now i'll receive you right down front we already have one who has gone back to prepare for their baptism today and you are welcome to join in if you're ready those of you that would like for someone to pray with you maybe you're just in the thick of it right now there's going to be a couple of great people back at the next steps wall in the back where you can have some privacy it's a little bit quieter but you go back there and let us pray with you and encourage you the rest of us we're going to celebrate the reality that christ in our lives changes everything